Hello, everybody. I'm Fran Curry, and welcome to another edition of Eavesdrop. We are so glad you're with us today, and our name comes from Eve in the Old Testament, and so we pay honor to her today as we talk today about a very special subject, which is health care, women's health care, and wherever you are in the world, that's something that we need to be concerned about. So you might want to grab some of your friends and have them uh, tune into us. At iTunes, the uh, iTunes store. This is uh, free in the podcast section. You can also go to bigbrainsmedia.com to pull up the show. And so we look forward to having you here today and, and every week beyond this for more of Eavesdrop. Right now, we're joined with Dr. I love saying Dr. Brenda Taylor. Uh, she's a physician in Birmingham, Alabama, but a, a well traveled, well schooled woman. A, a skier, something I envy very much, so we may talk a little bit about skiing too, Brenda. But thank you so much for being here today. Oh, it is my pleasure. And uh, as you, as you, of course, know, as a physician, uh, one of the big discussions here in the United States always has been health care and who is entitled, uh, who is privileged, uh, who's too poor for health care. And now we're dealing with implementing a thing called Obamacare, sponsored by our current president, Barack Obama. Tell us, as a physician who sees uh, women with health care issues, how do you think that Obamacare might help women? here in America? Well, I think that Obamacare has one facet that I actually appreciate, and that is providing health care for young adults uh, who may have finished college, and they're in between. I call that the in-between group. They're in between college and uh, their career, and perhaps they may not be employed where they can afford health care insurance. So with this new reform, those young adults are able, if their parents have insurance, uh, to be a part of that insurance without an additional cost for the family coverage for their parents. So for the the young adults between the ages of 22 and 26, it just provides them access to health care, a group that oftentimes we've seen drop out from health care because they couldn't afford a health care insurance. And tell us a little bit about your background. You just don't pop up one day and decide that you want to be a doctor, or do you? (laughs) Tell us a little bit about your background and how you you ended up being a, a doctor. Well, I'm actually from Jackson, Mississippi. And when I was younger, I had an idea that I wanted to deliver babies because my great grandmother was actually a nurse midwife. Oh, wow. And I had heard my mother and my mother's mother talk about her role in the community. And I thought, oh, I would just love to do that. So once I finished high school and went off to college, I thought that I would pursue medicine. So I attended Tougaloo College. And then after that, um, I applied to medical school. And I decided to go to the Ivy League. So I attended Dartmouth Medical School. Um, It was really a wonderful a change of environment, but a, a really wonderful experience and great exposure. And um, while in medical school, I confirmed the idea that I wanted to practice obstetrics and gynecology. So I applied for a residency program and um, attended the University of South Alabama Medical School in Mobile, where I completed my OBGYN residency. I was chief resident my last year and um, met my husband, Robert, who is from Birmingham. 
And that, of course, drove me to the Birmingham area. And I was employed with Henderson and Walton for over 20 years as an obstetrician gynecologist. And just most recently, actually last year, moved into my own practice, Paige Hudson and Taylor Gynecology at St. Vincent's. And I'm here. And you're here, and we are so grateful to have you here in the Birmingham area. So if you ever move to Birmingham, now you know who your doctor has to be. <laughs> Tell us a little bit about, about your family life, because I think there is, um, I don't know, an, an, an illusion maybe by some people that it's hard for women to have it all. And, you know, I've met both of your beautiful children and your, your husband, who's in the ministry, mm-hmm. and um, who are just, you all are really awesome people and seem to have it all. How do you make it work? Well, I make it work by, first of all, putting God first. And with Him as my ultimate director, I always find myself going in the right direction. So I yield to the basic principles of the Scripture, which means that I understand that I can be more than one person per se, which means that I have a role that I fulfill as a wife to my husband, Robert. And I'm also a mother to my two children, Christopher and Myra. But I'm also a manager at work as I as I function as a physician. So I see what I do uh, exactly that. It's what I do, and it's not who I am. And as long as I have a, a good way of making sure that I make each one of those compartments filled, then I'm balanced. So when I am at work, I do that 100%. I love what I do. I love my patients. I consider it a ministry. But once I move home, I fulfill my role as a wife and all my duties as it relates to that. And as it relates to parenting, I take that seriously as well. So I carve out time for each, and I try to make sure that no one area of my life bleeds into the other, although I do understand that there are times that it does, but I purpose for them not to bleed into the other area. So I think that my balanced life is the fact that I try to compartmentalize my life and then um fulfill that area at that time as I move uh, and flow from one area to the next. It's okay. It's okay to hit the microphone. That's okay. fine. No problem. <laughs> Sorry. When I did TV, I hit it all the time. I'm a hand talker yeah. as exactly. well. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I was such a hand talker and such a mouth hitter that I would have to turn my microphone upside down <laughs> on the set. And, and, and talking about career, I am I'm intrigued by you. Um, I have to tell everybody, you're, you're, Brenda is so much of so much of a mentor to me, and I'm not sure I've ever said that to her before. Uh, but I was someone who, at 40, lost my job. I got traded in for two twenties. <laughs> <laughs> I was uh, in TV and did not realize, and and always said, "Oh, I'll be fine. I can live without this." And now I'm. At 47, I still am not sure what I want to be when I grow up. Mm-hmm. How do you talk to folks or help folks who are trying to find their way? Because I was very much like you. I mean, when I was at work, mm-hmm. it was 100%. And unfortunately, I made the mistake that it was more than a one, 100%. Mm-hmm. As our producer, Mark, says, I was a bad picker mm-hmm. when it came to potential <laughs> husbands. <laughs> Three engagements, and they were all bad. Yeah. Uh, how do you help people like me and so many people in this country and other places in the world who deal with that balance issue? Yeah. And I think that um, for most women and anybody in particular, you first have to have an understanding of what you're capable of. And I think that if you can find something that you like, 
something that you're good at and something that I always say, if no one paid you, would you do it anyway? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. If you can find a good combination of those three, then you're well on your way. Because I have some young ladies that will say, well, I think I want to pursue a certain career, but perhaps they don't have the aptitude for that career. They're not willing to take the time to invest to make sure they master what's needed to perfect that career. So that's probably not the path you should choose. So I think that once you decide what you're good at and what you do well, and then you know that you have the willingness to pursue it, and that sometimes requires you investigating what's required because sometimes it's easy to just simply say, oh, I want to be a doctor. And that's very easy to say. It is easy to say. Oh, I want to be a doctor. And that's good. That's the start. But then you have to go and look that profession up, see what's required to achieve that degree, and then decide, am I willing to do what it takes to get to that point? And I think that oftentimes people have an idea of what they Mm want to do, but they really haven't researched it well to know what's required to achieve it. And therefore, when you fall short, you become very discouraged. So um, I think as parents, we should be watching our children. We should know their strengths. We should know their weaknesses so that when they're in high school and they're making decisions about their next step, whether it's college or not college, as a parent, you should be able to offer some counseling as, I think you would be good at this, and maybe not at that, or maybe combine two or three things together. And I think that even as women, there we do not have to decide on one profession. Right. For example, you know, I'm a physician, but at some point, you know, I may decide that I want to own a flower shop and sell flowers, or I may want to open up a business with performing arts. So we live long lives now. So you yes, may um, pursue something earlier in life, and then that pursuit may circle you around to something else that you enjoy. So you may be able to enjoy three or four or five careers in a lifetime, unlike our parents that may have only experienced one career. Wow, that was so well said and so inspiring as well. And Mm -hmm. it brings me back to my father and uh, one of my cousins, Dr. William Davis, both Mm -hmm. of whom were two of the first black men in the U.S. Navy. Mm -hmm. And they tell, tell the stories of what they would do after something as honorable as the U.S. Navy. And, mm-hmm. and and Dr. Davis went on to become an incredible physician. And I would go to Doc's office and I'd say, yeah, cuz, I want to be a doctor. Mm-hmm. Until he let me in on one exam and I passed out <laughs> when the blood went into the needle. So, eh, no doctor right, for right. Fred. I had another good friend um, I worked with at a radio station in Birmingham, and he said it's a really sad thing when we find out that everything we need for our careers we learned in the first grade, yes. reading and writing. Yes. So what do you think of uh, going back to school for people who may want to pursue medicine mm-hmm. or, and I'm looking at law school now mm-hmm. and, and things like that. How do you, how, do you encourage people to do that? And I do encourage it, particularly women and in particular women that may be single parents. Because when you're raising your children, your goal, of course, is just to make the provision for those children. But once your children are out of high school, off in college, you have a whole life ahead of you. So all of those dreams that you once had, oh, I really wanted to be a nurse, for example, um, then go ahead and get started with small steps. So you may apply to a junior college and finish your um 
associate degree. And then maybe after that, go on and earn a bachelor's and even a master's degree. So I think that women that may have deferred their dreams, for example, because they were parenting, that would be the ideal woman that can go on to another career. Um, So I think there's a lot of areas where women can uh, move to the next step once the time is right, uh, once you've Finish some of the projects you've always already been working on, whether it's parenting or maybe your marriage is at a point now where you can reduce your hours at work, work part time and then go back to school. Fortunately, the environment has embraced that because right. there's so many programs now that are offered as night school, whether that's law schools or um, graduate work. For those who may have already acquired a bachelor's degree, you can now still work during the day and then go to school at night or go to school on the weekend and still pursue that career that you may have always wanted to achieve. What do you say to people out there who are maybe fearful of mm-hmm. the next step. Um, as people around this area who are Facebook friends know, I lost mm-hmm. one of my mothers recently. My Aunt Emma passed away. And one of our last conversations was about a job that I was offered in California. Mm-hmm. And I said, oh, I can't go to California. We've been there. We've traveled there. And she said, why not? Mm-hmm. And so I'm taking on the why not rule. Is mm-hmm. that something that you embrace for people who have opportunities to do things that are professionally um, will help build their careers? Mm-hmm. Is that something that you look at as, as something that's also good for people who are kind of midlife crisis mm-hmm. and right now instead of trying to buy a Porsche? <laughs> yeah. And I think that that's an excellent way to always end a sentence or the question to follow a sentence may be, well, why not? Um, I do try to encourage baby steps, though. There are some, we're all built differently. Right. So there are some people that can take a baby step, like the turtle and the tortoise, the tortoise and the rabbit. So there are some people that need to take small steps. And in that step, they gain their confidence to take another step and another step and another step. And then you have some people, the way God built them, they they are built to take giant steps. So they have the inward a courage and confidence to take a leap of faith, which is a big giant step. And if they land in a safe place, they're okay. But that same person, if they land on their bottom, they still have the wherewithal to stand up in that same spot and still take another leap. So recognizing your strengths um, is important because that will help you to define for yourself, am I a creepy crawler, which still you're moving in a direction, mm-hmm. or am I a leaper? So that why not probably is more important for the creepy crawly person that needs to take small steps, and as they uh, they gain their confidence, they'll, they will take larger steps. And one more question on that subject, and then I want to talk a little bit more about women's health in mm-hmm. just a second. I lived in Alabama my whole life, but we traveled the entire world when I was growing up, and I took the big step to college. Mm-hmm. Had a full scholarship to Auburn University, War Eagle, but mm-hmm. went to Boston University. Mm-hmm. And at 18, it was the easiest thing I've ever done. At 47, mm-hmm. I can't even imagine getting on a plane and going to live somewhere else. Mm-hmm. And I think maybe some of that has to do with people in our generation who are caring for our elderly parents mm-hmm. as well. And so maybe some of this is about being responsible and I would when say, you're hesitant. Yeah, some of that can be um, in the sense of 
think of it as a tree. And if you have a tree with roots, it's easy to pull that tree up when it's very young and the roots come up easily out of the ground and you can transplant that young tree to another area and that tree will thrive. Whereas if you have a tree that's been standing or sitting in the same place for a long time, the roots go really, really deep Mm -hmm. and it's just so um, committed to staying in that place that it would be much more difficult to pull an older tree up without destroying the roots and then transplanting it somewhere else. So as you have insinuated, the longer you've been in a place, the more difficult it is to move. When you were 18, you had only been in that place 18 years, so it's easy for you to move. Well, you've gone from 18 to 47, almost twice as long in this place, so it's going to be twice as hard to move. So for those that move uh, rapidly and uh, more frequently as younger people do, they're in a job for five years. And mm-hmm. the young people now know that if you're in a position for more than five years, in their minds, you're there way too long. So they right. move uh, frequently because that's the nature of the business now. Right. Whereas when we were younger, you would stay somewhere forever. You forever. would get a job. Yes. You would retire there. Yes. They would give you a gold watch. And, you know, you'd watch the sunset when Ta-da. you're older. Yeah. That's right. But that philosophy really has changed. So as older adults... It's more difficult for us to adapt to that change. But we can do it, again, with small steps. Girl, you saved me a therapy session on that one. Exactly. Because I was about, I was, I'd been almost 20 years where I was Mm -hmm. before. So that makes a lot of sense. Mm -hmm. Something else that we have to be concerned about, whether we are in our 20s or 40s, Mm -hmm. be be we male or female, is our health. Mm Mm-hmm. What do you say to women out there about getting those annual checkups, the importance of those, the mammograms? And and I sit here as someone who had the best insurance in the world, so mm-hmm. I will give that shout out to General Electric mm-hmm. for many years. And now I am insurance-less. Yes. And it is a whole different world. Mm-hmm. Talk to us about the well-insured, because I was the most well-insured kind of person, mm-hmm. to the uninsured. And, and how do we work that out to get to the doctor yeah. and get taken care of what we need to get taken care of? Right. And um, as you inferred, there's basically three groups. I would group them as three, okay. those that are that are insured, those that are uninsured, and those that um, still have income that they can still provide themselves with care. I'm going to call them self-insured. Okay? okay. So for those that are insured, it's easy. Um, the companies now have been very persistent at making women aware of their health care needs, yes. what should be done, whether that's through media, emails, and et cetera. The, the customer of the insurance company receives a lot of information mm-hmm. to help them to know what services they need, the timing of those, in, the, those services, and who can provide them. That's the person that's insured, so they're taken care of. Then you have the uh, self-insured. Now, to me... That's a group that oftentimes goes unnoticed. That means that someone that has some disposable income where they can actually pay for a service, but unfortunately, most, I'm going to use women, do not realize that they can still seek health care if they have the funds to do so. 
So, for example, I have seen patients in my office where they will say, oh, Dr. Taylor, I haven't seen you in two years because I lost my insurance. Right. I said, well, why did you not come in? Well, I did not have insurance. Right. So in the minds of many women, they think that the insurance card is the is the key to turning the lock into a physician's office. Well, the reality of that is that that is not true. There is something called self-pay, which means that if you do not have insurance, but you have disposable income to cover your health care, you just simply call that physician and say, you know, I'd like to schedule an appointment. I do not have insurance. How much would it cost? They give you that general fee. For example, at our office, it's $100. We say for just a regular exam, 100 bucks. And so you come in and we can even put you on a payment plan, $25 over four months to pay off that bill so that the door to her health care Although it appears closed, it's not really closed. She just didn't know that she had the key to open that door. And then you have those that have no insurance and do not have the disposable income in order to provide themselves with with good health care. And that group oftentimes, if they meet the criteria, would be eligible for Um, Other insurances that are federally funded, whether that's Medicaid, if your income level makes you eligible for that, or for those that meet the age criteria over age 65 with um, Medicare, then those uh, programs are in place for that particular group. Wow, that is a real education mm-hmm. from somebody who went from grade A insurance to no insurance. Mm-hmm. So, Dr. Taylor, I'm just going to call your office this <laughs> afternoon, get there and see you, girl. We appreciate you so much for all your knowledge and everything. But May I say one other thing, sure, too, and course. not to interrupt you? That's okay. Um, I also encourage uh, women... Uh, particularly individuals, and this is women or men, uh, many of the larger companies, I'm just going to use Blue Cross and Blue Shield just because they're one of the major providers here in Alabama, they do have what's called individual blue. And what that is, it's just a very low-cost insurance um, that may be less than $100 per month or right at about $100 per month. Um, And basically, it's designed for a young relatively healthy individual who still wants to seek out annual maintenance care. Right. Okay. Okay. And that's available. It's not very expensive. Uh, Most people think that you have to get your insurance through your employer, which is not true. Mm -hmm. You can provide your own, your own individual or seek out your own individual health coverage. And there are many companies that provide for that group, which is ideal for that group. As we were talking about previously between 26 and let's say 40 where that's the healthiest time in general for most uh, young single Americans. That is uh, some wonderful, great mm-hmm. advice and, and makes you feel good about the the, the self-pay thing mm-hmm. and also getting individual insurance. Mm-hmm. I have to ask you last question. What scripture in the mm-hmm. Holy Bible is your foundation? Um, I would say the one that I... And I'm going to, I know you asked me that question, but the scripture that I enjoy the most uh-huh. is actually Jesus wept. Oh. And the reason why I really like it is one, it's short, it's simple, but it says a lot. It does. It speaks to the man Jesus, and that even though he knew exactly who he was and everything that he was capable of doing, as, as he understood himself, he still had a heart and a compassion for others. Right. So he understood death. He understood um, the emotional 
significance of a loss, whether it's through death or any loss. And then he con- he conceded in his emotions to be empathetic to experience that. And that all that he was, he cried. Yes. And I try to make sure that I'm always conscientious of that, that I understand who I am as a person. I thank God for all that he has allowed me to achieve as a person, but I never lose sight of the person across from me and how I can be touched by their lives and how I can be empathetic to their situation. And um, as a physician, it would be so easy to lose sight of that. Mm -hmm. Um, And it would be very easy to lose sight of that. But I try to always, when I'm Every encounter, when I see a patient, I'm always trying to turn that table and see it from her point of view. And if I was looking up at me, talking to me, what would I want me to say to that person? And um, and I just I just love that scripture, Jesus wept, because it just it epitomizes that to me. And then all the pain that at this time that mm-hmm. a lot of people are going yes. through the past 4 years have been mm-hmm. a very difficult time mm-hmm. in a nation that as as we often lie to ourselves feels prosperous and all those things mm-hmm. that we've had to hit our knees mm-hmm. and just go with Jesus mm-hmm. and to weep mm-hmm. and to know that he weeps with us mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Dr. Brenda Taylor you are just a rock and a, a wonderful role model mm-hmm. for me and for our entire community and now the whole world since this is a podcast <laughs> <laughs> we we appreciate you so much for being here you are just so welcome thank you so much for allowing me to have the opportunity to speak with you today. I really appreciate it. Sure, of course. And we want to thank you all for joining us today for Eavesdrop. And uh, we look forward to you joining us every week for this. You can catch us at I, uh, on the at the iTunes Store. I'm going to write that down so I get it right. <laughs> iTunes Store Podcast. It's a freebie. Uh, so please catch us there. Also, BigBrainsMedia.com is where you can also catch Eavesdrop. Thanks again for joining us. I'm Fran Curry and have a blessed, blessed week.